Hey everyone, and welcome to the Vince Sanders Complete Fitness Podcast. These podcasts are all designed to help us understand each other a little better, come together as a community, and just spread a little bit more of the love. Um, in these episodes, we have various guests talking about different subjects that some of you may know about, some of you may not, but hopefully you all leave with a better understanding of them. Uh, if you enjoy them, please pass them on to your friends, and I look forward to any comments you'd like to leave. So let's get into today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Uh, you will see I have the subjects um, on the board behind me because this is how I do things, and I didn't have a pen to write it on paper, so we're going to roll with it this way. Uh, three parts to today's podcast. Did a bit of a, a little Instagram poll yesterday on some things, and as they all kind of tie in um, with one another, all current climates, etc., this is this is kind of how we're, we're going to do it. So, um, yeah, this is the way it's going to go down. So part one of uh, today's podcast, which is something that I was going to talk about anyway, and has we're going to slip in um, one of the questions into it as well, which is how to exercise when you are not competitive or hate exercise, uh, which we're also going to tie into the question, which was like hobbies. How, how do you start hobbies? What is it? How, how do they do that? Because for me, my hobbies are more exercise than my actual exercise now as a, as you know, it's funny because, you know, we I have this conversation with my clients and we love. So if you're a personal trainer, you should love exercise. Why? Why should I love exercise? Just because I'm a PT. I came to personal training very late in the game. I've always enjoyed exercise per se, but I don't like being held down by it. You know, for me, I'm the sort of person that if I've got a workout planned and the water's good, I'm going for a paddleboard. I will suck a workout out in a workout off in 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 like that it's gone don't want to do it anymore if it's better off outside like now i i would much rather go and do a five mile skate on my skateboard or go paddle for a couple of miles than actually do a physical workout because i'm actually interested in it so how to exercise when you don't actually enjoy traditional exercise or you're not competitive well i'm not competitive either i'm in a fucking terrible state here so what I do or what I've done as I've got older is find things that I actually enjoy doing and incorporate exercise around it. So from, so I'll go through the points I made and then I'll explain sort of how hobbies and stuff have gotten into helping me do that as well. So, you know, some of the points we've got are the first thing you should aim to, the whole point of it, weight loss is all about movement, right? It doesn't matter whether you do it as a structured movement, whether you do it as just making sure that you're on your feet all the time. Aim to move as much as possible, which is how you you exercise when you don't like doing the structure stuff. You just try and move as much as possible and find things that, you know, encourage you to move as much as possible. Therefore, you will always be inclined to do it, which is where the hobby thing comes in. Because the next point we've got is, you know, find activities or sports that um, encourage you to move uh, in a way that doesn't feel like a chore because for some people going to the gym is just a no-no you know this is why you know team sports like going for five-side football for a kickabout going for a run going for a cycle with your friends and stuff these are all also valid forms of exercise the gym will always have a place it will always have a place i do enjoy the gym environment i like being there i like seeing the people i like the energy because sometimes you do just want to shift some stuff there are times actually though and especially on a nice day where i'm i don't want to be stuck inside i'd rather be outside and i'd rather be off doing stuff like that so to integrate that into the hobbies part of things, find 
I mean, it, the, the cool thing about a hobby is, is a hobby doesn't have to be something you want to jump into straight away. It really doesn't. Um, and to use this as a means of exercise and anything, just find something that you're mildly interested in. A passing thought, just mildly interested in X and go, all right, yeah, I'll give it a go. Do a little bit of research on it, see if it's for you and then start. I mean, so I got into hockey this year, uh, sorry, last year. And things died down. And a friend of mine met was on the beach with my kids in the water. And he turned and said, have you ever thought about playing hockey? Or have you ever played it before? And I said, I did when I was in school. Didn't necessarily enjoy it. But sports wasn't really my thing back in school. I wasn't overly encouraged to do it because I was the fat, funny kid. Um, I was great at swimming because weight doesn't make any difference. Everyone loved me at rugby because I was a big lump. And, you know, it was very hard to put me on the floor. And because I was tall, basketball was great because I could, you know, just pass over people. So I've never massively been in into sport until I could do it on my own terms. The institutionalization of it, and I'm not competitive. So that didn't really help either. So when my friend said, oh, do you fancy playing hockey? And I was like, screw it, why not? You know, it, it just requires me to get a pair of cheap AstroTurf shoes to play on a pitch and some shorts and some thermals which i had lying around anyway then as it goes you know you can buy into a kit and all that stuff later on if you want to because most places have like the cool thing about getting into a club sport is there's usually kit lying around you don't have to invest too much other than just yourself and a will to do it now because hockey involves lots of sprinting and running around i then started doing running to improve my hockey game not because i wanted to you know, i just wanted to be better than i was now and this is the cool thing about hobbies is that once you get into a hobby or you enjoy doing something, you will naturally want to start improving your ability to do it. And it doesn't become a chore. Like, I hate running. Like, you cannot even begin to understand how much I hate running. But because it was a requirement of hockey, I started running. One of my mates runs. We run together. It was a bit of a social thing. We do 5K, 8K sometimes. We'd run. I'd stop a few times because I'm not, you know, I haven't quite got the, the running gait for it. So it does hurt when I run. But it brought my stamina up. So that when I went back after the sort of second mini lockdowny thing... I was fitter than I was before because I'd actually done something about it and it didn't ever feel like a chore. Now, me and my friend skateboarding instead. So, you know, it is what it is. But paddleboarding, I've always been into paddleboarding. I've always loved the water. I live right by the sea. It's something that's not going anywhere. I can always do something with it. And paddleboarding is absolutely stunning for my mental health. So is skateboarding, actually. Um, headphones in or my speaker playing on the end of my board. We get over the break of the waves and I'm just paddling around listening to some chill beats and my mind's at rest. And this is the other thing as well. If you don't want to exercise for the sake of competitive or the exercise movements, do it for your mental health. Do it for your headspace. You know, you, it's, it, you always will feel better after doing something. Now, again, it could just be going for a walk. If you weren't walking and you walk every single day from now until you get a little bit used to it, you're going to see just a huge increase in, in mental output, in how well you feel. You'll probably lose a bit of weight anyway because you may find that to improve your walk, you actually change your diet a little bit. And that's the other thing that happens. You know, you, you can either start watching your food and go, you know what, if I exercised, I wouldn't have to maybe watch it as much. Or you can start exercising and go, you know what, if I tidied my diet up a little bit, this would make things a lot easier. So there is a big carryover. But the key thing is, is if you just mainly try to move more, that can be your exercise and finding activities that encourage you to move and that you actually enjoy doing. So, I mean, case in point, today's Monday, yesterday, me and my mate, we went for a skateboard around Chichester and we covered miles, absolute miles. And it was amazing. It was a great day. I was absolutely knackered at the end of it. My legs felt like jelly, but I just had a good time because it didn't feel like exercising. We just went for a skate all the way around the city and it was great. So, you know, there's, there is, there is that as well. Now, if you 
don't mind exercise, but you're not somebody who goes in and throws yourself at the gym, here's a technique I use as well. And this is something that I do a lot when I fall out of love with a standard program. Because I mean, the trouble is, I literally try out every program that I write for my clients. You know, I've done all the movements, I've done all the stuff. Now, I'm not saying I've done them to an amazing degree. As I say, I'm not competitive. So I don't throw myself in them that much and I lose interest incredibly quickly in exercise. You know, I used to love doing martial arts because it was interactive with the people. Then, I, you know, I've done, when I was training for events and stuff or charity things that I was doing, there was a purpose behind it. But the fake, you know, sort of sake of going in for the sake of aesthetics, it's not for me, you know. Okay, yes, everybody, I've been slimmer before and I'll get slimmer again. It's not something that drives me, you know, for why I go to the gym. You know, the one thing I would say for, you know, clients that are training with me and potential clients that might be listening to this, it's like, don't judge me on what I look like. Judge me on how well I handle my stress. That's the key part. Because if you can handle your stress well, which I have got a pretty good lid on, everything else falls into place. You know, there's some other things that are going to come out some next podcast because I've got to figure out how I'm going to word them. But a lot of people's issues have nothing to do per se with their weight. It's all up here. And it goes past the point of like, oh, you know, relationships with food. It's like there's a real big psychological thing that drives you to question loads of stuff. But if you can nail your stress, then everything becomes easier because you're not stressed about it. So that is a big reason, if nothing else, to start doing things is to massively improve your mental health, don't necessarily worry about your physique because it will come in time and that's not a quick fix kind of thing. And the other thing I'll put down is, so with that, find movements you like doing. Some people love doing legs. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of a leg day. Some people love doing back. Some people like doing their chest. Some people like doing their arms. I, I also like shoulders, you know. If those are the movements you like doing, just stick to the ones you like doing, but just try and find as many different ways of doing them as possible. If you own, like for me, I could quite easily do squats and overhead press and nothing else. I'm not interested in bench press. It bores the shit out of me. My arms will grow as they grow, you know, as, as long as they're not too soft, I suppose. You know, it's not, I'm not spending hours and hours on it. I don't give a shit about abs. I fucking hate training them. I will get slimmer as I get slimmer. I'm not overly worried about that. But I love to squat. Don't mind a bit of deadlifting for a bit of hamstrings, but I'm quite happy to do squats and shoulders. So what do you do? You find as many different ways to squat and as many different ways to do your shoulders and you can create three or four days of workouts from that. If that's the only thing that motivates you to do it, if you only like doing chest and arms, do as many different variations of chest and arms as you can. Now understand that there is imbalances that can come from this. Obviously we don't want you to be completely rounded off and hunched, but if you enjoy doing, doing chest and you want your chest to look as good as possible, you know you have to work your back. You have to because it's a byproduct. It's the antagonist to your chest. You know what I mean? It's like that can be discussed later. But for the most part, if you take something that you actually enjoy doing and just try and just find out as many different ways to do that and any exercise that are going to assist in doing that, you're always going to be motivated to do them. If you are not motivated to do legs, you, you're never going to be motivated to do legs. I'm not saying don't do legs because, you know, nobody likes somebody who skips leg day. But at the same time, if you can just get away with a bare minimum and just chuck one movement in a day when you're doing everything else that motivates you, that's how you do it. Don't sit there and drag yourself through a leg day that you're not going to enjoy because it's never going to re- it's going to it's going to kill the vibe. It really is going to kill the vibe. And we don't want to do that. So when it comes to no, this, this is stuff I'm having to figure out because I actually have fallen well and truly out of love with exercise in the traditional sense of going to a gym and lifting weights in a structured manner. Now, I have always liked running around. I like being outside. 
I like doing that. I like being with friends. Now, as I said, there will always be a space for a place for me in a gym. I like working out in a gym, but I like to be able to take it or leave it. I'm not particularly great with it being my only source of exercise because as we've seen, like shit happens, you know, gym shut down. Sometimes your favorite gym closes, you've got to find another one. You don't feel comfortable doing it. The fucking pandemics happen and, and things get closed down. And the one thing I did in the first time around this happened nearly a year ago, which is quite a scary thought, was I let it get to me. I stopped doing it because I was like, well, I haven't got a gym, so I can't work out. I need this. I need that. And yes, I had my paddleboard and I was getting up, but that was more for my headspace. But for my actual physical health, I wasn't doing much about it because I just got myself stuck in this thing that, well, if I haven't got a gym, then what the fuck am I supposed to do? And it really unsettled me. And I was like, I don't want to be like that. I want to have something else that I can do. Go for a bike ride. I've now got a skateboard. I've taught myself how to do that. And I've taught a few clients how to do it as well, which is quite cool. So, you know, it's just stuff that is good for your headspace. It's something you can do with a partner. It just gets you out there. And, you know, my legs are absolutely bombed. I had to skate up on the school run today because all the bikes were taken. My other half and the kids, we cycled up to school. And I was absolutely done in by bloody nine o'clock because I had to skate up behind them at freaking 20 miles an hour. So, you know, exercise can come in as many different forms as possible, but the key thing is, is just to move and find ways of movement that you enjoy because then you'll always do them. You know, again, you're walking five, 10 miles a day. It's a lot of steps. You know, you can get that in. If you, if you enjoy going for a swim in the morning, go for a swim. It's something I want to start doing, maybe not in the sea because... It's a bit cold right now, but I'd quite happily get up in the morning and go to a leisure center and go for a swim. You know, there's there's so many different ways to do exercise that doesn't necessarily revolve around the traditional means. And if you're an outlier that doesn't really like it, my other half's the same. She'd rather play a sport. Go get yourself involved in a sport, any sport, because you're always, and the key thing as well is that you're going to be shit at it the first times you do it. Like, I have no preconceptions about how good I was going to be at hockey. I knew it was going to be crap because I've not played it in ages. Um, and, you know, you just got to get used to it. Also, don't be scared either to start a new hobby. Like I have never been on a skateboard before in my life. And I bought one because I liked the idea of it. I thought it transfers over well to paddleboarding and surfing, which is like my things I really enjoy doing. And I taught myself how to do it. Find just, you know, don't be scared to fail at that bit. You know, the trouble is with a lot of these things, you, you invest in something and it doesn't quite go right and we back off and go, well, that was shit. It's like, just keep throwing at it. I spent three hours skipping over and falling over and then did five miles on my first day just to get used to it. And then now it's second nature. Don't be scared to do that. And if not, as I say, talk to me, I'll, I'll go through it with you. But the key thing is, is that all of these other options i mean the gym is a very safe space to go this is why they're great you can go in you can jump on a machine you can move you're very unlikely to hurt yourself doing sports going into hobbies and stuff outside and and bits like that it takes a little bit more leeway a little bit of give you need to learn a few things but it's all basically stuff that you'll learn the more you do it so don't be afraid to, to get out there and try something new and you know if you are local to the area we'll go for escape i'm all for it, it doesn't matter uh, the next one we've got is how to be strong without a six pack. So a six pack is not a correlation or aesthetics do not correlate to strength. Now there are some very strong people with very good physiques, but that is probably because they focused more on the weightlifting side of things and the physique was just down to controlling diet now you look at bodybuilders yes they are strong 
because they deal with a lot of progressive overload, but they're not as strong as, say, strongman or powerlifters who don't look like that because they're more interested in just the strength side of things. So if you want to be strong, it requires work, patience, proper programming, and having a coach very much like myself, who is more interested in you being able to stay as healthy and as injury-free as possible because the trouble is with strength is it does carry the biggest potential for a lot of injuries because you're dealing with a lot of weight and you're also dealing with a lot of neurological stress because to reach new strength, you have to stress your nervous system more than your muscles, which is the, the, the issue that comes with it. It can be very taxing on your body, which is why rest is actually more important in powerlifting than you know probably in any of the other... Um, you know, endurance or, or hypertrophy and stuff. So it's kind of a an interesting one. But to be strong as well comes with a want. You have to want to be strong. And women who I do a lot of strength training stuff with, women seem to want to shy away from being strong because they they have misconceptions. They think it's going to make them look bulky. It doesn't. It never has done. It never will do. Um, it also... I think it's kind of a terrifying prospect as well because women generally, from my experience of working with them, doubt their own physical strength quite a bit because everybody assumes that you're going to go in and you're going to have to try and lift the heaviest weight possible. It doesn't work like that. Nobody goes in and does that. Men have to start on a small weight and work up. Well, you start at the heaviest thing you can possibly lift. Now, every single woman I've trained has never thought they could lift what they actually can lift. They've always undercut themselves because we have a strange concept of weight as well. We don't actually know how much things weigh. Now, if I turn around and said to any woman, and I've done this time and time again, I can get you to deadlift your own body weight in 30 days. No, you can't. I'm really heavy. Mm, probably not as heavy as you think you are. Or more importantly, it doesn't matter because if you weigh that much, you're used to carrying that much, which means we can transfer it into something. We always cut ourselves short on what we think we can lift. Men tend to be a bit different because they tend to have more... They are, and I mean this in the nicest and constructive possible way, they're more ego-driven. Therefore, they are not scared to try and lift the heaviest thing possible because they feel that, you know, they, they want to show that they can do, whereas women seem to be quite reserved and they don't want to do it. Anyway, you've got to want to do it because strength training, one, it's probably the easiest thing to get results from because physique takes time. You're always working on certain things. So the body is never linear. Strength training isn't linear, but you can see numbers that you can see going up are easier to equate for. So, for instance, if you know that you could only deadlift 60 kilos and all of a sudden you can deadlift 62 and a half kilos or 65 kilos, like this is a hard number that you now know that you can lift. So the quantifying measurements are a lot easier to track. So therefore, it's good. But it's also at some point very slow. And the key thing to remember with strength training and stuff is, is that, you know, Personal best are made by the kilo, not by the 10 kilos. You know, you can go up by a kilo and it's still a new PB because that might take more extra neurological effort than you're not sure of. And it's a long game. It's not something that you take lightly, which is why it can be a bit difficult. And it's not something that can be sold as a quick fix. So you can improve your strength and your technique, which may actually help you, quote unquote, improve your lift and put more numbers on the board. But that's simply a cleanup of technique in the short term, which allows for more optimal power output than actually, you know, raising base level strength. You know, most of the guys I have on my powerlifting side of what I do, first thing we do is we sort out their technique and their weights go up a little bit. And that's great. Like, oh, you've made me stronger. I haven't. I've just tidied your technique up so you can use that force that you're making in the most efficient way. So the other thing we I put down was 
as I said, aim to move, repair, recover, and fuel yourself for optimal levels of each. Now, this is where the whole being strong without a six-pack comes in. If you know for optimal recovery and energy and rest, you have to sacrifice a little bit of athletic physique, so be it. So be it. That is the sacrifice you have to make. And this is where I actually struggle with strength training because I have the potential to be a lot stronger than I am. But due to years of being bullied for my weight in the industry that I work in, and there are certain things that I'm expected to look like and etc. It's not as bad as it was, but it's still there. I can only get so big before I freak out and have to stop. I also hate being injured and the risk of injury in power training is very high. Therefore, I'm a bit mm, reluctant to do it because I like to be able to move, strangely enough. But you have to know that you have to... Be willing to optimize your fuel, optimize your recovery, up to optimize your ability to move as efficiently as possible over aesthetics because aesthetics are a completely different thing and you don't want to really sacrifice that for the sake of what you're actually trying to do with um, power training. Um, yeah, realizing you have to sacrifice something for the other is is kind of it really you if you want to gain strength you're probably not going to have the six pack that says you know if, in, if you've had one more important you decide to go into strength you are going to lose it a little bit doesn't mean you're going to completely lose all of it because if you built it it will grow as well like if you've got the core muscles and stuff but there's always a sacrifice you're not going to work out at the same frequency you once did because you have to require adequate rest time your food budget might go up because you're eating more your ability to do you know, your, your workout times are now going to take two hours instead of 45 minutes to an hour because you have to, you know, make sure you're doing everything properly. There's always some sacrifice. It's usually time and effort you sacrifice for the payoff of strength. Um, you don't have to sacrifice then it's social time and eating like you would do if you're necessarily going for a very strict weight loss regime. I don't practice that myself. I don't preach it. You know, everyone has should be able to socialize and stuff alongside weight loss. But if you're doing, if you, you know, we're going down to the extreme ends of things, if you're looking at, you know, physique training and stuff, you do sacrifice a lot of it for that, uh, the payoff of physique. Whereas with strength power training, you actually sacrifice frequency and time for making sure that you're doing everything right. And also the last point on that one is that anything that's lost can be regained. If you lose some aesthetics to power to strength and you can get in your head that you're okay with that for a bit, you can always get it back. Actually, it might even be easier next time because you gain more strength because you can lift more weight, which means you can then, you know, use the hypertrophy response to, to cut down easier each time. Or if you've gotten too big and you feel like you want to cut down and you've lost some strength, you can rebuild it. You know, these these things transfer back and forth, which is why when I've said to clients that are in, you know, six, seven months into the weight loss journey, because we do work for a long period of time because we want to make sure that everything can be as lasting as possible, that I've, I've gained a couple of pounds and stuff, it'll come off. I've lost some strength, it'll come back. It will come back. There's no, the longer you create, the longer it takes you to create the changes, the la longer they last for. Anything quick doesn't stick. Um, I know that misery drives a lot of the decisions to do things quickly, which is something, as I said earlier, I'll bring up later on. But it, you're not driven by weakness. You're not driven by um, a, a vulnerability. You know, when we see all these supplements being sold and these quick fix programs and stuff, you're, it's not because you're weak and it's not because you're vulnerable. The fitness industry seems to think you're weak and you're vulnerable and that's why these industries get hold of you and make you spend your money. You're not. You are miserable. 
you are miserable with your current situation and you are prepared to do anything at that point that would speed up the process of becoming not miserable. And that is a key difference. And the moment that you understand that and that it's okay and this is a perfectly rational human response to not being happy, you don't have to be bad about it anymore. The amount of clients I've had says, I was such an idiot for trying this or I can't stop going for these quick fixes. It's like, yeah, because you're miserable. Because you can't understand how you got here. You don't like the current situation you're in. You have no idea how to get out of it. And because you're stuck in that mode of, I want to be out of this awful headspace, because again, as we've said before, humans are more interested in being not miserable than they are happy. And if you're miserable, you will do what you absolutely possibly can to get out of it as quickly as possible. That's where this comes from. It is driven by misery. It is not driven by a weakness or vulnerability. Okay, so it's very important that you know that because once you understand that and once we get you not feeling miserable, all of a sudden that need for a quick fix disappears. And I've seen this happen, I've like literally in practice, I've done this with clients, I've just got them to not feel miserable for a second, then everything seems like it can take as long as it needs to take. Because when you're miserable, and this is why you can't stick at things as well, it's not because you're weak and you're useless, it's because you're so unhappy that you've got to get out of that situation. Your brain is saying, look, this is not a good space to be in, we need to get out of it, and we please need to do that quickly, can you sort that out? So anything seems more appealing. Once we get rid of that feeling, you then relax into it and you can make the changes happen. So next one, moving on into headspace, segued into that, is how to protect yourself from external negativity. And that has been pretty rife with everything that's happened. Um, it's probably the biggest spotlight we've had on mental health and suicide for good or bad reasons. It's kind of shitty that it took us this long to figure it out because some of us have been dealing with it for a long time, but we're here now so we can, you know, band together and use what experience we do have to try and make this better for everybody. So a few things that I have used, and as I said, the one thing I would advertise myself as if my body was an advert for, and my persona was an advert for my business, it's not how I look but it's how well I handle my stress and it's how well that I've learned to help others deal with their stress because when you're not stressed and not miserable, as we've just said, you are then able to create longer lasting changes because you're not being confounded by that urgency to get out of a bad situation. So how do we protect ourselves from external negativity? So first things first, and this is the, it's very important that you... You, the key thing is, is you don't control what you can't control, you control what you can control. And that sounds really stupid, but we forget that a lot. We keep trying to change the things that we have no control over. What we can actually do is bolster down on the things that we know we can control, okay? So be in charge of what you expose yourself to, to as much as you possibly can do. If the news is stressing you out, stop watching the news. If social media makes you feel bad about yourself or bad about the world, stop using it. You will not lose contact with people that you need to lose contact with. You, there are plenty of uh, forms of social interaction technology that will keep you in the loop with people. I know people that only communicate via WhatsApp. They have no Facebook. They have no Instagram because they don't want to be contacted. They don't want to see it. If you want to talk to them, you talk to them on Facebook. They have group chats. That's fine. Absolutely works. If you find that, personally, I find that Facebook is far more unhappy than Instagram. Instagram is a much happier form of at the social medias. TikTok, I don't understand it. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm too old for that shit. Uh, Facebook is a better, longer format one. 
but it's um, there's a squeaking going on outside somewhere. Um, yeah, Facebook, you can have longer format conversations, but people feel the need to just dump their purse on it. And it's like, I, I get it, but that's where you're going to find a lot of negativity. So if you're very sensitive to it, maybe don't use Facebook. One of those things. Um, so yeah, control what you can control. People, people that you are around. If you don't have to be around them and they're dragging you down, don't be around them. You can cut somebody out if they are so negative that they don't bring you any kind of joy being near them. You have to, you owe it to yourself to not be around those people because they are not going to do anything for your headspace in any way, shape or form. They're just not. So if you can limit your exposure to them, do that. Okay. I've done it with people before and just like, look, I can't deal with you. I just can't. You, you drag me down. Like I love you to bits, but you drag me down. So I'm going to limit my exposure to you. Simple as that. Like you, you always can do that. And at some point, self-preservation dictates that you must. Uh, next one is and, and this is what I mean about hobbies and stuff, which is why I can all ties in. Have processes in place to manage your stress that can be accessed at any time you need it. Now, there is the caveat to this. It's one thing to have stress management systems. It's another thing to be able to access them, um, access them when you need it. Now, I... The reason I bought a uh, skateboard, actually, for, for this year was because I can't always get out on my paddleboard. Sometimes the conditions aren't right. Sometimes I don't have the time because I've got to suit up, um, you know, especially in the, in the winter months at the moment. Suit up in my wetsuit, gloves and boots. Then get the, uh, the paddleboard out from the back garden, get it down to the beach, get on the water, paddle out to where I want to be, do what I've got to do, get back and reverse. So it is, there, is a, there is an element of time constraint that comes with that. Whereas the skateboard, as soon as I chuck it out the back door and I'm on the road, whoosh, I'm off. Headphones in, gone. So, um, you know, you can have your main ones. You know, obviously, the gym is a great stress reliever. Can you always get to a gym? No, sometimes you can't. So it's, it's all well and good having that as a stress relief, which everybody used to use until lockdown hit. And they realized very, very quickly and sometimes quite worryingly that they had nothing to control their stress with because they had no outlet. This is the problem with stress relief is that it must be accessible. There is no point having these conditional situations in place that aren't always accessible. People are not good forms of stress relief. They can help. Do not use people as your main form of stress relief because one, other people have their own shit to deal with and sometimes they can't deal with your shit. Other people may not be around when you need them. They may be unavailable at the time you need them. You have to understand that people are great facilitators. They are not great processes. People can make you feel better. Of course they can. Should they be the main thing you rely on? No, but you can sort of almost attach them to certain things to help accentuate it. You know what I mean? It's like... The reason I say that is it's not because people shouldn't be used to help you manage your stress. There are people out there that do that. Obviously, I do that with my clients, but it's, more, it's a professional capacity. Me and my other half help each other out with our stress. But if I'm stressed out, I am not really in a, in a position to help her with her stress as good as I could be if I am not stressed and vice versa. So we need to have other things in place that we can do to manage stress. Now, it could be that what you actually need to do to calm yourself down is just listen to a piece of music. I have a piece of music, it's a bit of classical music, um, and it mellows me right out. It just, it resonates inside of me. It's a very beautiful piece of music, and it just 
Whoa, mellows me out instantly. Listen to it. Three minutes, bang, I'm down, I'm back, I'm good again. When I get, that's enough to get me through that moment. Then if I need to go out and go for a skate or a paddleboard or a walk or whatever, I can then go and do that later on. But the key thing is, and this is where hobbies come in because your hobby should really align with stress relief. Hockey is great because it's a social element. I can run around, I can meet with the boys, we go for a drink afterwards, we have a chat, it's a great time. Skating is something I can do with friends, the same with paddleboarding, but it's also something I can do solo to, to manage my stress and get some exercise in, okay? So these are processes that, again, I can use people to help make them better, but they're not reliant on people because if they're reliant on people, then, you know, it's it. And also, it's, you know, if, if you're stuck at work and you're pissed off and you message somebody hoping that they're going to send you something to make you feel better and they don't respond, you're fucked because you're still at work and you're still stressed. So, you know, that's where having a piece of music, remembering a line, having a book, just removing yourself from the situation for a second can also help with that because stress is, can be quite complicated and you, you want something solid that you can always turn to no matter what the situation to relieve you from stress. Fidget spinners, fidget beads, you know, these are all things that help as well. Just something to just, you know, take your mind off something for a second. It all helps. But the, the reason they work is because they are an object or an activity that is easily accessible rather than a person or something that you have to be in a certain situation for to then relieve your stress because they can't always be readily available. Stress relief should be readily available when you need it. Otherwise, it's not very good stress relief. Next one is know yourself and your truth. Now, I actually personally hate the term being your authentic self. This is just you being your authentic self. That's a line that a lot of people use to justify themselves being pricks. I'm just being my authentic self. Yeah, and you're still being a knobhead, so it doesn't matter whether it's your authentic self or not. Stop using the line as a justification for shitty behavior. Now, knowing your self and your truth is different because it's about knowing your self-worth. If somebody is constantly trying to put you down, but you know that you're doing a good job, know that that is the truth of the matter. Know that you are doing your best. Know that if... And, and it's amazing how... It's, the 80-20 rule is, is, is very profound in this point. 80% of your stress comes from 20% of the people that you know. So again, if you can avoid them, avoid them. Get rid of them. Sack them off. If you can't avoid them, understand that they are the minority. If everyone around you is telling you that you're doing a great job, you have friends that are always happy to see you, you have a lot of positive stuff going on, that one negative person is probably not a reflection of the truth of the matter of your truth, your, you knowing yourself. If you're in a work situation and somebody's constantly on your ass but you're doing a good job, know that you're doing a good job. It makes it easier to then nullify the negativity that's coming off that other person because you know who you are. You know what it is you bring to the table. You know what is is going is going down with stuff. Excuse me, getting a little dry there. Bit of product placement for Monster. You know, knowing exactly who you are and the job you're doing is hugely important. And people will tell you if you're doing a good job. You know, people aren't people aren't skimpy on praise. You know, there's a lot of negativity out there, but you've got to start. Or if you don't know your truth, go and find it out. Go and see what your narrative is. If you know that you're trying to do the best by people, you're trying to do the right thing and help as many people as possible, that is hugely empowering. Like for me, I question myself all the damn time. I'm in an industry where people pop up like worms from the ground on a rainy day and start saying that they've done all this stuff. And it's hugely 
demoralizing for me. Like my clients want to say, I'm quite open about talking about stuff. But, you know, there are plenty of trainers out there now that have decided they're going to move into mental health. They have no idea about the complexities of mental health, but because they're good at marketing, they're going to make it sound wonderful. And that throws me off. It really does. There are people out there that are earning a lot of money doing this job, more, far more than I am, and they're not as dedicated to their clients as I am. Now, that's negativity from an external point because I compare myself to them going, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? But I know that my truth, my my. My, I know that in myself that all I'm trying to do is help each person that comes to work with me as best of my ability. I give them everything that I've got. I'm always there if they need me and I will try and do my very best to make sure that they're okay. That's all I can do. So when the negativity comes, when I look at people and obviously I have a coach that I dump this on as well. And when I say, look, I just, I feel really overwhelmed by all of this stuff. There's so many people out there that are claiming to do all this stuff or they seem to be doing better than me, which is always the way with life anyway. It's just knowing that in the back of your head, there's nothing else you can do than your best. And that's all I'm aiming to do. And I know what my truth is. I know that I'm out there trying to do what I can. And this is why I research what I research. And I, you know, sort these things out. And it does, it does buffer me from those moments. I feel low, but not for very long because I've set myself up with all of these different processes and I know my truth. Again, don't judge me on how I look, judge me on how I can handle that stress. So knowing your story and, and be honest with yourself, if you don't know it or you don't like the truth of it, you can change it. You can absolutely change that story. It's not, a, you know, where you are now is not who you're always gonna be. And if you're in a position where you think, you know what, I could do better or I want to change it, then change it if you don't know how going to call with me we'll figure it out let's start working together but this is what i've been doing with myself over the last five no no five years um been a pt for nearly eight years now and you know this is what you do this is exactly how you do it you just constantly keep trying to improve yourself and knowing that your main story is that you're in this to help people i'm not in this to make money i'm in this to help people and as long as i keep doing that i will buffer weather the storm shall we say this is a really cool thing that I learned being a doorman, actually. So, I mean, you should all know by now, hopefully, if you've listened to other podcasts, if you haven't, go back and listen to them, that I was a doorman for 10 years. And if you tell you, you want to see external negativity, work a door shift. Fuck me. It is, it's, it's horrific. It, that's actually why I got out of door work, because in the end, I was actually exposed to so much negativity on such a regular basis. I actually started developing mild anxiety a mild anxiety disorder towards going on the doors now i don't mean that i got nervous when i was on the doors because i'm the sort of person that will throw myself into something rather than back away from it after if i can't defuse it i'll stop it but i was actually getting to the point where and these doors that i was working on were not rough doors they were quite they were nice establishments they they weren't places where trouble was prone they were pretty easy gigs but the fact is being around so much negativity and being the focus of that negativity because being the point of authority when people are drinking is never a good idea. You were the bad guy for the right reasons. In the end, it used to make me feel very sick and on edge and really unwell the thought of maybe doing a, a door shift. That's why I don't do it anymore. I, I, I've lost my edge basically with it. I, I can't handle being the bad guy that much. I cannot handle the negativity that comes with it because I was only trying to help people. And again, this is the, that was the hard part is knowing that I'm the person, you know, I'm, I will deal with negativity that is trying to help somebody else to deal with it. But when it's all aimed at me because I'm doing my job, it got very difficult and I had to pull myself away from it. So that was the first bit, control what you can, control what you're exposing yourself to. And I had to come out of it. I really did. I, I completely understand that feeling of dread 
that going into something and I'm just not going to feel good doing this and I don't want to do it. Your body is very good at telling you don't do it. And it wasn't that, you know, there was, it could break out into fights. I've, people have threatened me with all sorts, you know, that's part of the part, parcel of doing the job. That doesn't worry me at all. I just didn't, couldn't handle that pressure of the negativity on me. So outside of that, um, you get shit thrown at you a lot on the doors. A lot. Because people are trying to goad you. They're trying to make you react because it justifies their action towards you. Or they're looking for a fight or whatever, whatever. You know, women and men are kin. I've probably had more insults thrown at me from women than I have men. But, you know, that's not really a statistic. That's just how it works. So the key thing is, and there is a, it's a Japanese story, actually, which is very cool. When I was doing um, traditional Japanese martial arts, uh, it just popped up because, I obviously, you know what? Bloody social media, it's like you look at one thing from Japan all of a sudden, aha, you'll basically live there. And the actual message of the story is this. Learn to treat negativity as a gift you can choose to accept or not. Now, I'll go through the fable, or the story, and I'll do, because I've done a video on this as well, I'll bring it up at some point, but there's three ways you can actually react to something, and I'm going to explain what those are. So the story goes that in Japan, a sensei was in his dojo with his pupils, they were sat in prayer at the Kamadana, and a young, arrogant samurai walks in, points at the old sensei and says, you are weak and useless old man, and I could beat you in a fight. The sensei does nothing. The young man pipes up again. Did you not hear me, old man? I told you that you're weak and useless and I could beat you in a fight. Once again, the old man does nothing. In the end, the young man storms out of the dojo, never seen again. And his eldest pupil comes and says, sensei, why did you not attack? Why did you not you know, he insulted you. Why didn't you defend your honour? And the line was, is if somebody hands you a gift and you don't accept it, who does that gift belong to? And the answer is the person who's trying to give it. So if somebody hands negativity to you, see it as a gift that you can choose to take or not. Because if you don't take that negativity, it's theirs. And what I mean by that was the whole point of the story is that when the young man said to the sensei, you are weak and useless, had the sensei rose to the challenge, that meant that he'd accepted that negativity and had to prove that he actually wasn't. But by not accepting, but by not reacting, it was down then to the young man to prove that he was weak and therefore put doubt on him. Because he couldn't go with the old man. So either there was a huge amount of confidence there or that the young man couldn't prove the point because the old man wouldn't take the bait, basically, which is what I learned on the doors very early on. So basically, when it comes to negativity, insults and things like this, it's all negativity is a blanket. Three ways you can or you react to it. Two of them, not great. Um, sometimes necessary, but not great. And the third one is what we aim to do, which is the treating it like a present. So you can react internally. You take that negative on board and you question yourself. Again, this is the not knowing yourself and your truth. You question yourself. Oh God, maybe they're right. Maybe I am a terrible person. Maybe I am bad at my job. Maybe I don't. Da, 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 da. 
Okay, so that's one part. That's, that's reacting internally. You've taken the statement, you've internalized it, and you question yourself. You can react externally, which is where you lash out aggressively, and that's what people are generally trying to get you to do on the doors. They call you something, you analyze it and go, I'm not that, and I'm going to show you that I'm not, actually means part of you believes that it might be true, so therefore you must prove to the other person that you're not that. Again, not ideal, not great, because that is an external um, act, which then in fact proves the point. Now, what you we aim to teach you, if you work with me, is neutrality. Because until you accept a gift, that gift belongs to somebody else. Somebody turns around and says to you, you're crap at your job. And you go, there's no reaction. They have to prove it. They have to then prove the statement. If you accept it and go, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Or you get upset about it. It means that you've accepted that gift of negativity. And now it's up to you to deal with it. Now, that can be used positively if it's a constructive criticism. Um, one of my biggest statements I make to people is that criticism without construct is just an insult. If somebody's going to tell you that you're crap and not explain why and give you a reason to either defend yourself, explain your actions so that you can learn from it and offer guidance, they're just insulting you. So do not accept it. Never accept any criticism that doesn't come with construct because it's just an insult. They just want you to feel bad. Again, that comes to the whole taking that negativity as a gift. If you need the construct or you feel that you could do better and it's been niggling at you anyway and you finally take it, use it in a positive way to analyze your conduct, your, your means and come back stronger. If somebody is... Oh, it's dry now. If somebody is using your... Um, using negativity as a means to try and goad you out or is pushing the mark and maybe causing damage to other people, then sometimes you do have to lash out. You know, on the doors, sometimes I've used the nicest possible way. Still not having it and I'm about to go hands-on because it's the only way to stop the situation. Again, we don't want it to have to come to that, which is why neutrality is always the first place we go to. Because once we can use it as neutrality and we can not take that gift on, you can then... <coughs> oh, excuse me. You can then... Decide how you then want to react. If it's an instantaneous thing, either one or the other, you're not in control of it. We want you to be in control of things. And the last point I want to make before we, we go, and this ties into the first one and the last one, not so much the middle one, but it's still a good piece of advice, is never waste a sunny day. That's how you exercise when you hate exercise. Don't waste a sunny day. Go outside, enjoy it. We spend way too much time indoors. This is something that me and my friend said yesterday when we were going out on a skate. Why on earth would you want to be indoors on a day like this? Why would you want to be surrounded by negativity on a screen on a day like this? When you protect yourself from external negativity, nothing makes you feel better than a sunny day. Nothing can make you feel better than a sunny day, being around people that you want to be around, or even just on your own, lost in yourself with the sun on your face. Never, ever, ever waste a sunny day because they are far and few between in this country, definitely, and they just make you feel better. And that's what I'm going to finish on today because it's just a bloody good message. It really is. Don't waste a sunny day, people. There's, there's, they're, just, they're just too precious to, to mess up. Um, 
we are now out of lockdown ish kids are back in school we have time we have something has actually happened that we can go aha cool nice one things are actually moving forward now is the time to get the jump on things if anybody wants to start working with me on anything that we've said or you just want to start getting something started again please message me drop me a comment if you're watching this on youtube or just message me one way or another and we will get you started um it's getting easier weather's getting nicer stress should be getting management should be getting better but if you are struggling anything please reach out and let me know take care everybody and i'll speak to you soon And that's the end of today's podcast. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you because it always helps us improve or to keep doing what you enjoy hearing. We will be back soon with another episode, so stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe so you know where it is, and we'll speak to you all soon. Bye.